Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. My name is C. I use they them pronouns and I play Okahaye, an Asamar blood hunter slash monster hunting expert. I'm Erica and I play V Nocturzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra and I use they she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. You can also support us by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps immensely with getting new listeners to find us. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include descriptions of human sacrifice, nudity, being magically compelled, violence, and blood. Arc 3, Episode 3 A Child of Redacted Blood From Nian in Not Here by Hugh Min Nian The sunless morning dawns bright and gray on the championship. The tall, spiraling towers of Rasso casting long shadows across the southern face of Clothau Island. The lapping waves of Ingir Lake lick the sandy shores of Nabal's capital as the first partygoers of Bacchanalia Beach spill out onto the surf, ready for another hazy day of drinking, cavorting, and dancing in the face of certain doom. And in the heart of Rasso, Several miles north of Bacchanalia Beach, we see broad streets of stone and cement stirring as people unshutter windows, creak open doors, and begin spilling out into the world for business, pleasure, and more. Because, of course, even in the wake of the cataclysm, there is money to be made. People to be seen, places to be explored, perhaps now more than ever. After all, there is profit in war, opportunity in death and pain. And what place to better mine that terror for money, riches, and spoils than the championship of Nabal? We sweep now past straw-thatched roofs, columns of smoke spiraling from red brick chimneys and flagstone squares with fountains, market stalls, bustling people here and there uh, to reach one shop in particular. 
uh, in the plaza of field and freedom, nestled between a library and an apothecary, we find Tanga's store. The glimmering windows of this ground floor revealing all manner of artificing curiosities. Spindly silver instruments puffing steam, mechanical creatures creaking along on gears, clockwork armor and weapons. And a sign on the door reads, closed, sorry. And we pan up now past this closed sign to the second floor where we see three people. Tanga, a chubby elven woman with dark skin, curly black hair, and a pair of gear-adorned goggles on her forehead. Xiaohu, Tanga's protege, a jaguar-like tabaxi person with jet black fur, crystal blue eyes, and a prosthetic arm uh, that whirs when removes. And finally, Dewey, our dirty, dirty pigeon man. Tanga claps a gloved hand on your feathered shoulder. Dewey and says to you, Dewey, this is Xiaohu. Xiaohu, this is Dewey. Uh, Dewey is a great friend of mine and an incredible inventor. I mean, just an absolutely mind-bogglingly brilliant brain. I mean, with his help on our side, we're gonna win the championship this year for sure. Right, Dewey? I think Dewey looks up and down at Xiaohu and is like, yeah, uh, you're still in the business then, Tonga? I guess there's money to be made. 100% there is, I mean, in addition to winning the championship of the championship, there is a nice, you know, nice, nice sum of gold from the coffers. And that'll definitely help keep the shop going, right? And and help fund my research and everything. And I mean, Xiaohu, Ri is my best prospect. Strong, powerful, intelligent, gruff, experienced. Ri has it all. What do you think, Dewey? What, uh, Xiaohu, what is your background in exactly? Killing uh, stuff. Oh, okay, yep. I'm really good at killing stuff. Yep. How did the two of you meet? That's a long story. Uh, at an ice cream shop. Yes, at an ice cream shop. Xiaohu's a build and gruff demeanor stood out to me, so I asked Rim if Ri was interested in maybe, you know, checking out some of the prosthetics I had, free of charge, of course, free of charge. Uh, and Ri was interested and started testing rear combat abilities, and Ri has a lot of potential. I think we really have a shot. Dewey, will you join us? I just need to make a few more tweaks to rear's prosthetic to, to make sure it's really, really good. Uh, you know I got out of the championship business. I try not to get involved oh wait then why are you here not for me i am here for you um not championship related i don't understand world ending catastrophe related oh more like... you mean the vanishing sure yeah <sighs> and with that like tonga slumps down into an armchair and like picks up like an like a cold cup of tea that th- uh, she's been brewing since this morning and like thoughtlessly sip sips it. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we've all got our theories about what caused it, right? And how to restore it. But right now, my most pressing concern is on the tangible material realities of Rasso. If we become mentors to the next champion, do you know how much good we can do in the wake of the, of the freaking apocalypse? Tonga gets up and actually grabs your feathered hands. Do you know done this. how much change we can make if we mentor the person in charge of everything here? You know I got out of the championship business. It's too 
It's too risky. It's too much death and destruction. Do we? You? I would rather. I would rather just serve. I don't know. I'm not one for fame. I would rather just serve people who aren't throwing themselves into certain doom. Dewey, it's not your fault what happened last time, okay? You can't beat yourself up. We knew there were risks. So did they. So did all of them. So did Rose. Uh, and this name, I think, triggers a, a memory for you. And when Tanga says Rose, what kind of a face comes to mind for you? This was a former a mentee, one of the people that you helped, right, in the previous championship challenge. So tell me what Rose looks like. Rose looks fairly young, uh, fairly slight. They have big, excited eyes all the time. Um, and they're always smiling. This is Dewey's mentee. Um, sort of like the person he took care of before he had kids. Or a kid. 100%, yeah. And maybe there's a part of Hana that you you know, later on, where, like, this feels kind of similar to Rose, maybe makes you feel uncomfortable, especially given Rose's fate in the championship. Uh, and Tonga goes, but they didn't... Look, their, their sacrifices weren't in vain, okay? Because if we give up, if we do nothing, then they were. If we just, if we just stop trying to influence the outcome, everyone we lost, they're... It would have been for nothing. It resets every championship. It's not like... We can keep doing this as long as the championships keep coming. Right, until we win. Because legally, we we can't compete again if we win. And if we win, then we have five years to make Nabal an amazing, progressive, good place. Filled with amazing ideals and opportunities for everyone, just like we imagined, just like you and I imagined. Food on every table, no one has to go hungry, no one has to be scared. Is that, has that changed for you? Things changed. Has nothing changed for you? Look outside. Of course things have changed for me, Dewey. I lost my house when one of the towers fell. But... My ideals and my values have stayed the same. And I know that as an inventor, it's my duty to use my skills to make a better future. Ugh. Just, what do you want, Dewey, if it's not for the championship? So I picked up this new gear. Uh, I don't know if you notice. I can't get rid of it. Also, it might blow up. What? And I'm trying, I'm trying not to do that. Yeah, I picked up some... I worked for some rough, shady people um, after I left. All right, have a seat. Uh, Xiaohu, why don't you brew some tea? And sounds like you have a lot to catch us up on. And as uh, Xiaohu sort of goes over to like a tea kettle on like a gas-burning stove, uh, puts the tea kettle on and the steam starts rising, uh, I think the steam like wipes away the scene, right? And when the steam clears, we are on a stretch of road. Manaya. Why don't you tell us what our audience sees? As the road comes into view and the road and the scenery is sweeping by as the camera pans up into the sky, the sunless sky, and though you might expect some glare, there is none. And you see, to us on Earth, it looks quite strange. There's 
fur and there's feathers and there's four legs and there's wings and there's kind of a bit of a long neck and there's a very tall dark-skinned half-orc woman clinging for dear life on top of, of the owlbear owlbears are very difficult to ride uh and for manaya who's ridden animals maybe two or three times in her life including when V got them out of the bottom of the ocean, and with little preparation, even a few days into her journey, uh, she is still confused on whether she should hold on to the fur or the feathers of this owl bear, as the saddle is not but a strip of leather wrapped around the owl bear's midsection, and two of the four packs of, of uh, supplies that she was to take fell like three kilometers back. We're struggling a little bit. But it's not all bad. The camera lies up next to Manaya as she is desperately grasping at this owl bear, keeping on to it. I mean, years of developing sea legs and her father's tricks and traps around the house keep you light on your feet, but very steady on almost anything. As she guides this owl bear down to a small town where there's two kind of older elven twins that are having a race over the last piece of cake. And Manaya looks up to the sky and you can't see what's happening, but she's she's talking with the princess about magic, about Nali, about her parents, the adventures they went on, the stories that they told each other. When the princess pauses and says, we should touch down there, I want to show you something. And they land. And Manaya, sitting atop this owl bear, looking much more elegant than she feels, uh, stares after these, these elven twins. One of them, the taller one, is obviously about to cheat. They have a small rock and are about to throw it right in the path of our twin. And the princess says, well, that's not fair. Manaya, do the thing I told you. And Manaya thinks back, the, the, the hex? But they're just having a, oh, they're cheating. All right. And Manaya points her finger at the taller one, the one with the stone. And <laughs> A must have flipped three or four times before finally skidding to a halt as a trip on their own rock and their twin pulls ahead uh, and wins that last piece of cake. And I would be lying if Manaya said she didn't get a little joy out of it. And I would be further lying to say that a little joy is all she got out of it as the owlbear takes off and both her and the princess are cackling. Uh, as the owlbear speeds off, the princess speaks to you in your ear again. As you, I think you're racing like farther down south, right? You're going toward the Dragonfang coast, toward Oberon, right? And you think to yourself, maybe you can even smell the sea breeze from miles and miles away. You're excited to finally see the Hema Sea again, right? The, the ocean that raised you uh, when your parents could not. Uh, but as you race away from this town where the two siblings, the elven siblings, continue bickering over the cake, you hear the princess voice, princess's voice in your ear go, uh, Oh, that was a lot of fun, Manaya. Uh, we can turn back now, right? We don't have to go to Oberon. We can just turn back. That was enough fun. We can just go back to, let's go back to Rasu, yeah? 
Princess, I... You got your kick out of that, right? That was all we needed? We could just... Don't have to go, woo! Don't have to go to the southern shores? But I... But... Princess, I thought this place was important to you. Nolly told me stories, and I thought they happened years ago, but... Uh, uh, yes, I mean, yes, it is very important to me, you know, big important person down there. They all love, they all love me and love Nolly. That's all you have to need to know. Uh, uh, nothing else, nothing else important down there. But if they remember you and Nolly, they should know what happened. They do, you know, and, and they, they love, they love me and Nolly down there. I mean, you've got to believe, I think they've got a statue of us down there or something, but you don't have to see it. It's, it's like tooting our own horn. <laughs> You know what I mean, Manaya? Princess, I... I have to. I need to find closure. And... Look, we'll stop at another town for the night. But... I have to go. <sighs> okay. Uh, but we won't stay long, right? We'll go in, look at the statue, wave to, to old Nodley's likeness, and then we'll, we'll get out of there, right? I mean, they don't even know us. It's been like 50, 60 years. This, yeah, they might have even forgotten us by now. I mean, I didn't have any plans, and we do need to get back rather quickly, but... Yes, so drop in and just leave before... No talking to anyone, right? We just go in, don't talk, look at the statue, turn around, come back. Oh, well, somebody's bound to know what happened then. But... It's got to be someone who was alive back then. I Tell me the stories. How long of a lifespan do you mortals have anyway? Like two years? I bet everyone's already passed, <laughs> right? <laughs> Manaya, would you like to roll insight on the princess to I... see what this is about? <laughs> I am not quite sure. Manaya really picks up on like the subtleties of the princess really not wanting to go there. That is a, an eight. An eight. I will allow you to ask one question with an eight about the princess's behavior. What kind of emotion does she have about this place? Is she feeling shame, feared, embarrassment? What? She is feeling shame and immense nervousness about you, specifically you, Manaya, seeing Oberon. And it stems from a place of, of deep shame and regret. But Princess, I... The stories say that you changed the seasons there. What uh, really yes. happened? I I did. We, uh, Nolly and I, well, you know, the, st the stories uh, she used to tell you, changing, we changed the seasons down there in Oberon, and then, you know, turned winter into, into spring, and then, like, kept, kept, kept everything it going. spring into summer. Ah, uh, did I Princess, are you... say that? Ah, uh, yes, that's what I meant. Yes, spring into summer. Yes. Springing into summer. Huh. Princess, are you? Oh, will you look at the time? I'm so tired from talking with you psychically. The bond is so, ooh, it's really draining my magical. Oh, I have to, ooh, I'm yawning. Oh, princess. I gotta take a nap. Okay, princess. bye. <laughs> you feel the princess sink back into your soul, uh, into a deep quote-unquote slumber, uh, as she very much avoided your line of questioning, uh, Manaya. And I think if you were to try to, like, talk to her in the next, like, 
end of the week leading up to getting to Oberon, she becomes more and more skittish, like more and more reluctant to answer your questions, like even more reluctant to come out and talk to you in the first place if it's clear you want to talk about Oberon. But if you're just like talking about other things, you're like tentatively peeking like and- out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think like we finally come to the day when Oberon comes into view. And the first thing that strikes you about it is the smell of the sea sweeps up from a southern breeze and hits you full force as you're on the back of your owlbear on top of a grassy knoll, right, looking down. And you see the glittering Hema Sea uh, on, on the horizon, right? It's deep blue water seeming to call to you, call to your sailor's heart. Uh, and perhaps maybe half a mile away from where you are, you see the town of Oberon. Uh, it is a cliffside village overlooking the Hema Ocean. And you're like, damn, it's got to have a gorgeous view, right? Think like Irish bluffs, right? Like the edge of this village just drops right into the sea. It's beautiful. There are no docks here, right? Uh, and just it seems to be a uh, farming village, right? You see like uh, several acres of like crops and like fields and tilled land, Uh sweeping out uh, from Oberon to almost to meet like the base of the hill you're you're riding on the back of your owlbear on. Uh, and you see like a couple of like homesteads, you see like low buildings, and you see uh, what appears to be like a, a clearing for like a town square. But again, it's like half a mile off, so it's still pretty small in the distance. So Manaya, what do you do? Do you ride into Oberon? I do indeed. As you approach, going down this grassy knoll, walking past these acres of tilled farmland, let's say, uh, I'll let you decide, what time of day is it? Uh, I'd say it's just after midday. Okay, just after midday, uh, which means the the heat from the sunless sky is abating somewhat, even though this is getting to be, like, the height of summer. Uh, so farmers are coming out of their homes to like work the land after the, like the worst of the heat has gone. Uh, and as you ride past a couple of them pause, you know, with their hose in hand or like weeding, you know, in the shrubs or like harvesting uh, various vegetables to like look at the odd mount you're riding on. A couple of them like shield their faces and like watch as you walk through. I tentatively like wave at them with a big smile. Uh, a couple of them wave back. They seem fairly friendly, uh, but a couple of them also like don't wave back. They seem uh, nervous about the owlbear you're riding on, if anything. As you get closer to Oberon, you notice that uh, it's pretty jovial. Uh, you see p- colorful bunting strung between poles uh, that are erected in the town. And as you get closer, you see like various like offerings, like uh, summer vegetables, uh, seeds. Quick, tell me farming knowledge. What are some summer veggies? Summer vegetables. Uh, you've got your melons, you've got your cucumbers, you've got your grassy greens, you've got your herbs, and you have your flowers. All right, that's it. Uh, you see all of these things like stacked up in piles, like very beautifully like adorned uh, with like like flower crowns and lots of like piles. You notice piles of leaves, like colorful summer leaves, and even some that look like they were kept over from autumn and spring because the leaves look different and they're kind of withered and dry from being like kept over for so long. And as you walk past these like piles of leaves and like uh, summer vegetable offerings, you realize, yeah, there's people out and about. There are like game booths set up. It feels like a festival, right? Like some sort of local festival is happening as you're walking through and like you see like a kid like suddenly like runs up uh, to the owlbear and is like, oh, and is like, trying to touch it. But their mom like pulls them away. They're like, no, that's an extremely dangerous animal. And like is like, shame on you for writing that in like at you, Manaya. They turn to like hustle away. My apologies. I. Uh... But they're gone. Oh. They're gone with their kid. 
uh, under their wing. So, Manaya, what do you do as you stride into the midst of what appears to be maybe like a like a summer food festival or something? I want to put this owlbear somewhere. And as soon as I can put the owlbear somewhere, assuming there'd be stables for more than just horses, considering the myriad of animals that people ride, I think as we walk into town, Manaya is thinking to the Princess of Leaves, like, wow, this is beautiful. What could they be celebrating? To no response, probably. And then she's going to like an, approach a random person and say, hey, uh, sorry, I'm new here. What, What's going on? Uh, no problem, no problem at all. It's nice to see a stranger uh, come all the way out to our humble little town. Let's say it's like a middle-aged person uh, leaning on like a walking stick. Uh, let's say they're a tabaxi, like a cheetah-like tabaxi. Uh, and you notice that they, like a lot of people here, are draped in like uh, flowers and like tons of leaves, right? Like colorful leaves of all, all four seasons, like stitched onto their beautiful, like almost like ceremonial robes. Um, and they go, it is the festival of the turning of the leaves, of course, to consecrate the moving of the seasons. You all have a festival for this? Certainly, certainly. Uh, toward uh, the end of every season, and of course we're getting to the end of summer, we always have a festival. So for a year, it's quite cheery, don't you think? Quite. Uh, when did this all start? Oh, when I was but a kitten myself. Must have been 50, 60 years ago at this point. Wow. Do you remember anything? <sighs> I certainly do. I remember being cold and hungry when that winter would not go away. So many of us died. Starvation, being exposed to the elements. It was bad. I lost my older brother. I'm sorry. But then, of course, the stranger came into town. A beautiful... Elven this Manaya tenses. When, when, when he, they say stranger, but they go on to describe a beautiful elven woman. Dark skin, curly dark hair, and the smell of magic about them. And then they brought us into spring. No one knows how, but we all hear the whisper of the powers of the Princess of Leaves. She saved us all. The princess, she so she was here. Yes, but uh, it took quite a lot to get there, and of course that's why we have the ritual every turning of the leaf to make sure the seasons do progress. It is, after all, what the princess wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every boon demands a sacrifice. I believe it's Gora this year. Brave girl. You are talking about a vegetable, right? Gora? Oh no, Gora, she's wonderful. She's one of the uh, priestesses of the princess. Knows her precepts like no one else. Would you like me to make an introduction? She should be, uh, she should be by the, uh, by the pool. Washing herself before, of course. Oh no. No, 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 it's no, 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 no. Something wrong, stranger? Manaya, like, holds her head, like, wide-eyed. And she, like, stumbles away, wordless, just... And maybe she stumbles out of frame, and we move to... Uh, we now, as you stumble out of frame, and, and this cheetah tabaxi goes, Oh, are you okay? We now go to... We swipe the frame, and when we swipe back, 
it's a shop. Uh, it's a magical clothing shop uh, with wares, decorating boots and amulets and robes and, and watches and rings, decorating shelf to shelf, wall to wall. And we move past all of these wares to the front desk, right, to the cashier's table, where we see Wara of Wara's wares, a dark-skinned uh, human person, seemingly, standing there looking confused and a little frustrated up at V. Nakshirzo, with a shadow looming behind her. V, as you turn, you look up into the distinctive snout of your ex-lover, Sievert, a white dragonborn man wearing a suit, uh as sharp as his one golden fang that is revealed when he smiles a predatory grin, his crystal blue eyes locking in on you, V, and Sievert sets down a pouch of coins on the table, thud, uh, and as he draws closer, you smell his cologne, he hasn't changed his cologne it, ever since, since the moment you met him, V, what does it smell like? Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's got like that very masculine like must but at the same time there's like this hint of like something fruity behind it like it's like i'm i'm uh but like i'm very well to do uh whatever that means thank you for those descriptive grunts <laughs> erica yep. the only way that you could describe sievert with i mean Sie honestly i'm a poet i'm a poet <laughs> okay you smell the uh and the uh uh as sievert drops the coin sack onto the table looks at you, V, and says, I believe that should cover it. You wanted in on the membership, didn't you? Well, uh, what a wonderful friend. Wara, you should... Uh, do you know my friend Sievert here? Last time I met him, I tried to blow up where he works. So if he's vouching for me, I must be pretty good. Uh, Wara looks from you to Sievert and back at you and says, I'm gonna help another customer. Looks like the two of you have other things you should discuss. <clears throat> Scorned lovers I can smell a mile away. Uh, and Wara turns and like scuttles off, you know, uh, leaving what you- Why do I get the membership or what? Uh, I'll let the two of you talk it out first. <laughs> As Wara like scuttles away from the scene. Sievert turns to you, leans on the counter, right, and smiles again, flashing gleaming white teeth, as white as his uh, scales. And he says, Fancy seeing you in this dump. Well, you know, you know me, I try to get ahead wherever I can go. I can't be like you and just, you know, oh, look at me, I'm so rich and powerful and I betray my lover so I can get ahead in the world. <laughs> oh, V, 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 V. You and I both know that if you were in my shoes, you would have done the exact same thing. Fair enough, but I probably would have done it with much more style. <laughs> Much more style. I think the way I executed it was pretty good. What with that whole Poor speech about how your dad never loved you. That was a nice touch. I'm not going to lie, but I look really forward to uh, the next speech I get to give you before I do something. V. And he actually, he leans in at this. Uh, do you move away or do you stand your ground? I move in just as close. <laughs> Okay, the two of you are now like face to face, right? And V, how is Sievert's sudden reappearance making you feel, right? It is taking every ounce of willpower to maintain any level of cool. Um, 
in V's palm. She's so angry. You can almost feel that level five fireball just <laughs> getting ready to be triggered. I'm not here to argue with you, V. I'm here to cut you a deal. I'm listening. How would you like to actually meet your dad? What kind of evidence could you possibly give me that you know, A, that my father is alive, B, who my father is, or C, where he currently is at this very moment? Wara. Uh, and Wara scuttles back, <laughs> you know, just like, like a beetle coming back in frame. Yes, are we done talking? Nope, I still smell tension. I'm gonna get... No. Do you still have one of those diadems, truth-telling diadems? 100% success rate. Ah, sure do. I'd like to purchase one, please. They're very expensive, sir. Uh, the one that I do have in store, I'll have to check in the back for you, but it's nowhere south 500 gold pieces, I assure you. Well, then take this. And Sievert nudges the pouch toward Wara. Wara nods, looks through it, uh, takes out a big fat gold piece, right, bites it. Uh, hammers on it with a tiny hammer and says, wow, okay, that's legit. Puts it back in the pouch and says, I'll be right out with the diadem. The two of you hang tight. And she disappears into a back room. And somewhere uh, Dewey sneezes. Uh, and as the two of you wait uh, for Wara to return, Sievert says, Our the diadem, and you can ask me whatever you want, but I'll be bound to truth. Wish we had a magic mic here, but of course he's in Talmud. You always run out of a magic mic right when you need him. But you've offered me this deal. You want to give me some type of cut into something? Make a, what, what do you want from me? I need your blood. Interesting proposal. Trying to discern whether or not I may or may not be particularly special in this apocalyptic time of Endake. You don't need to know why I need your blood, and if you try to screw me over while I'm wearing that diadem, uh, and with that he like prods you with like a sharp claw, like right, like right on your necktie. The deal's off. You're only gonna ask about how I know your dad, and then he removes the claw. Not why I need your blood. Do we have a deal? Well, this sounds like a wonderful deal. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Uh, put it here, pal, and he offers a handshake. And Sievert takes it, uh, and his hand is as cold as ice as he shakes, as he shakes your hand. Uh, and at this point, Wara comes back out, and she's got, like, a little, like, cube, like, translucent cube, like, case that you might, like, display, like, a beautiful necklace in. And it has, a like, a diadem, like a crown in it. And she sets it carefully down on the table and says, Oh, would you like that wrapped, sir? No. This is good. And he unlatches uh, the case. He takes this like tiara, right? This like diadem out. Uh, and he says, do you mind if we demonstrate on you, Wara? <sighs> of course, if you must know that it, it is real, I will be the first to demonstrate. Puts it on her head. She says, <clears throat> never get used to that. Ask away. What's your name? Wara. Full name. Just... Wara. Okay. How much money did you make today? 
3,923 gold pieces, 23 silver, and 9 copper. All right. What's the color of my scales? White? It's the color of her eyes. Green? Do you know either of us? Not really. How are you feeling in this moment? Awkward and interrogated. Okay. And Sievert, like, plucks the diadem off. Puts it back in the box and hands the box to you, V. Now where do you want to do this, Veronica? Why don't we just do it right here? I mean, we have witnesses. That would be good. What I'm about to tell you is of a sensitive nature. I prefer if we went somewhere private. You're right. The, the location of my one and only father, my, the only one life has ever given me, the one that abandoned me when I was with a young elf, is so secretive I wouldn't want anybody else to know that information. Let's go to wherever you want to go, friend. You're getting hysterical. Just come. And Sievert turns. I thought that was more hysterical at your office, but, you know, let be bygones be bygones. <laughs> uh, he turns his, like, thick white tail swinging and heads for the exit. Do you follow him? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, v, as you exit, right, the door swinging and the bell chiming. Uh, I think on the door closing, uh, we cut to Oka. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to? So standing next to their massive rented red elk oka almost looks demure if not for the bitchy expression they're wearing they turn they thank the ferryman they tip a few extra copper and they turn toward the large expanse of summer prairie grassland and in the far distance bamboo grove they hesitate for a long moment on the shore before finally kicking up off the ground and onto the elk's back and then they ride and we find them again a day or two later, sharpening a thin length of bamboo into a stake. Behind them, their elk is grazing on a bit of grass, poking up through the reeds. And after a moment, they pause and remove a small brass bowl from their pack. They look at it for a long moment and then sigh. Hey, Doc, just thought I'd check in. They keep off the main roads choosing instead to pick their way quietly through the old groves and tall grasslands, occasionally smoking a cigarette and turning around, only to be called back toward their destination. It's slow going, two steps forward, one step back. We see them in the dark, leaned up against their elk, arms folded over their chest, asleep when they should be on watch. And it's silent here silent where there should be crickets in the high summer and toads in the nearby stream. Then, of course, the splintering of wood underfoot and a low growl, and Oka opens their eyes, a small stream of blood trickling from their nose, and they stand, and they fight. And the next morning, we see them crouched over one of those large, empty beasts, the bipedal, featherless monsters with mouths for head, but this one seems evolved leading a pack, the likes of which are now scattered around the remnant of their camp. They make a few notes in a journal, brow creased with worry before snapping the book closed and stepping away, a bandage wrapped around their shoulder, a deep bite mark outlined in red. And finally, we see them stepping onto a road, leading their elk by hand as they make their way down into a low valley. 
They pass a sign that reads Convergence 0.7 miles, and they keep walking. As you walk past the sign, you find yourself at Convergence within 0.7 miles, and it is a bustling town, a border town. Uh, You see sort of like these wooden houses uh, with their doors wide open to allow people to go in and out, running in and out. You see kids running around in the street and hear the pop, 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 pop uh, of fireworks going off in the distance and in the middle of the street, uh, children running and laughing with with little sparklers, trying to chase each other, trying to like burn each other lightly, like not in any real painful way, like on the skin being like, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you. No, you're not. Hear the pitter pattering of little kids' feet uh, on the ground. Uh, you smell like beautiful, like grease smoke from outdoor, like food vendors cooking up a storm in their walk you know, of like a stir-fried tomato and egg, as well as like delicacies like duck tongues and buns, steamed buns, and all manner of uh, delicious uh, odds and ends, bits and bits and bots, uh, that anyone can just pick up a cup of noodles and eat it uh, off the street. Uh, and you also see uh, dancers uh, moving uh, up and down uh, the roads, uh, dragon dancers with like big paper dragons of all sorts of different colors, as well as lion dancers with the, the big puppeted lion heads uh, that can open and close their like shuttered like eyes with the eyelids flapping in and out, as well as the mouths flapping up and down made of felt and these beautiful golden tassels. Uh, and amongst all of this hubbub, uh, we zoom in on you standing, uh, Oka, except you look younger, uh, much younger actually. Uh, and you are currently trying to herd cats, which is to say herd your siblings. Uh, all three of them, uh, Sambaya, Toya, and Liang. Yeah, just all sort of running around and laughing. What do you do, Oka? Uh, Oka runs forward. They have like two sparkler, like sparklers between each of their fingers. Uh, all of them are lit and they're waving them around. Uh, and they notice uh, Sambaya like kind of like getting in the, like turning into the street a little bit more and like almost getting underfoot of a lion dancer and they like wrap an arm around them and like twirl her like up and around and she like screams and kicks and giggles like in their arms you know she must be like maybe four years old Uh, and oka laughs uh and calls toya bring lianya back to mom okay i know uh make sure she doesn't get underfoot (laughs) also light this for me uh, fine, fine. And you're uh, the second youngest, second oldest sibling, uh, only 14 years old at this point. You see Toya coming up and she's already has like a very like business like bun, like like cut cut down, right? This um, uh, this half half drow, a sibling of yours. Uh, she like brings her sparkler over to your sparkler and lights it and lets out a long enduring sigh and says, yeah, yeah, stop kicking. You're going to kick Oka's, you're going to kick Oka's shins like that. Oh, stop. She's fine. <laughs> Come on, let your own sparkler. Get some joy on your face. Mom, look what we found. Uh, and Oka goes running off. And you all hear like, a, slow down, kids, slow down. And your mom's not that fast. Uh, as you see your mother, Arden Hien, uh, on a walker. And she's like slowly moving her way like down the street, uh, accompanied by like two like attendants from the palace. Uh, and she's dressed in like these beautiful robes. Uh, and the two attendants both have like swords like strapped to their belts. Uh, and she like, she like laughs as like, Yaya like wriggles out of your grasp. She's really slippery and she's going, lion, lion. And she's like running back toward the lion, only seven years old at this point, like kicking up, kicking up dust around her little sandals. 
Uh, and Liang Ya, you see, is clinging to a Toya skirts. Uh, 11 years old, but she feels younger. She's got these big, thick glasses. And she's, she says to you, Oka, it's too loud here. I want to go home. It's too loud? We brought some wax for you, remember? Uh, and we can always go sit down. Why don't you go sit down over there? Help take mom over to the quiet, uh, quiet spot on the street. We'll meet you right there. Samaya, uh, uh, Yaya, come back. Uh, Oka goes chasing off again after Yaya. Uh, to remove her from the path of the lion dancers. So cute. And on you running, how old are you in this scene? 16. And on a 16-year-old Oka with your long hair, right, fanning out behind you, dressed in like these beautiful robes, on you like running across the scene, you know, with wielding a sparkler, laughing, like as your, as your long hair trails by, we see in the wake Oka now. 20-something years old, scarred, shorter hair up in a bun now. In the middle of what appears to be like a ghost town. Uh, that's how deserted it feels. Convergence. Same town as before. We see that same street that just like moments before was populated by memory, right? By the lion dancers, by the dragon, you know, floats, by the, uh, the street vendors with food, by all the kids running around, including yourself. But here, we just see like a lone leaf blow through the wind. And we see like an old, like an old woman, like sweeping the street, uh, because we are not in firework season. Uh, you do notice something else, though, something that was never there before: military presence from the Talmadi military. You see several Talmadi like guards or soldiers. You're not sure here. They're dressed. They're like sitting on uh, on a stoop, uh, dressed in the red, black, and gold of the royal Talmadi army. And they're talking to each other. And you would know, Oka, that Convergence is a town sort of nestled in the Azir Grovelands, like with bamboo forests surrounding this town, right? Uh, sitting on the border of Talmad, Tulong, and Nabal. And it's historically been a sovereign town, right? Doesn't answer to any three because um, it facilitates trade between all three kingdoms. Uh, so all three kingdoms like let it just like be its own thing with its own like laws and stuff. Uh, so it's very odd to see military presence here. What do you do, Oka? I think Oka was like really paused kind of in the center of the street uh, as that memory like kind of played out in front of them. And as it kind of passes with the wind, um, Oka, you know, notices where they are uh, and they pull kind of their elk up beside them and they make sure that the elk is kind of like in front of um, in between them and the soldiers as they pass and they like uh, keep like keep their head down uh, and they even like take like take their hair out so it kind of like falls um, in front of their face a little bit uh, as they are looking for the old inn that they used to stay at. You do see the inn, the shrieking monkey, uh, sort of like nestled on the corner of a town uh, with like I think like a a, a cat out front with like a lucky catch like with its like paw like a stone paw animated by magic bapping oddly enough because it's called the shrieking monkey even though there's a cat in the <laughs> cat cat out front uh and a sign uh, on the door says open what do you do Oka hitches um the elk to the front i mean there aren't very many people here uh but they're still trying to keep their head down as much as possible uh so they hitch the elk up they kind of shrug their pack over their shoulder um they put a copper piece kind of in front of uh, the cat offering um, and they head inside. Okay, you head inside. Uh, I maybe misspoke by saying it was like a total ghost town. It, there's just like definitely fewer people than in your memory, but there are still people out and about walking. 
Uh, and as you enter the Shrieking Monkey, you see uh, a very uh, somewhat lively tavern. Uh, there's like drinks flowing, there's beer going, alcohol. You see like in a corner, a bard is sort of like a, a plucking way at a, a Xian that's sort of like set up so this like beautiful like peaceful music is playing uh and you see like several like groups of people like huddled around small wooden tables what do you do uh i immediately scan the crowd uh and i think Oka is even like paused in the doorway uh where if they see what they don't want to see they're immediately going to turn around and run um but if they don't see any even vaguely familiar people in there uh they would walk forward toward the bar okay uh, as you walk forward toward the bar, you don't see anyone that would like immediately give you pause, right? Uh, do you sidle down for a drink? Um, I head up to, I guess, like the innkeep, whoever looks like, maybe not the bar necessarily, but whoever looks like they're in charge, uh, to number one, get a room, uh, and number two, ask about any letters. Letters? Okay, address to a whom? Uh, address to Hien. Hien, anyone? Hien, Hien, Hien. Nope, don't see anything here. Um. Okay, I'll take a I'll take a room for a few days then. You do the exchange and they give you a key. Yeah, I think uh, Oka. Um, I think they also get a, a you know a stall for their elk. Um, so they head back outside, um, and bring the oak uh the elk to the stable. As you head outside to bring the elk toward like a little like alleyway area where you smell like the must of horses, you sort of like see hay bales stacked up next to each other. There's like a big stone building to your right and then the, the open stables to your left. Suddenly your elk stops and stiffens. It goes <clears throat> and its ears peel back against the skull. Oka does the same exact thing. Uh, but for why? For why? And their eyes are like darting around rapidly, you know, like any anything. What's why? You hear footsteps rapidly approaching from behind you, and you know immediately that these footsteps, they're like trying to attack you because you've heard you've heard this sort of like running before. I need you to uh, make a deck save. So that was a natural one. Okay, a natural one. You have like half a moment to react, right? As you turn, right? Hear these footsteps running up to you. Uh, and how, how do you fail to react? Tell me. Uh, it's just like... Uh, I think they even like, they like hear the footsteps and they're like, what? Like, like they're turning around to like expecting some like asshole from a bar, like who's just like drunk and staggering, you know? They turn around, uh, like even like open, like what the fuck do you want? You know, like turning around. You see a hooded figure suddenly like, running up at you. Just see like a leather hood pulled over. They're rather like small, but they're fast. Uh, and instead of like hitting you, they suddenly jump up and they like kick off of like the stone building to your right. They spin in the air and they land on your back and they're choking you out. What do you do as the elk like starts snickering in like in anxiety? I sl uh, immediately slamming my back against the wall. Like that's like slamming my back against the wall. Okay, yeah. As you go to move, slam your back against the wall, your your back connects with the wall, but not the fleshy cushion of the person because they've they've like jumped off, you know, and now they land in front of you, uh, and you're no longer being choked, right? You've gotten them off, uh, but maybe you're like gasping a little and coughing from it, and they like land in front of you in like a stance. I think this is going to be an intimidation moment. Uh, Oka, um, they kind of like stagger forward, 
Uh, and then it's like all in one go. Two like huge wings just come erupting up out of their back. I think the elk even like takes off, you know, it just like takes off, it just spooks. Like the wings come out and at the same time, like uh, this long blade of blood uh, just comes like up out of their elbow and it's like sizzling with heat. They like wipe their nose. <laughs> you wanna fucking try that again? Uh, and you notice that this person is holding like twin daggers in either hand. Uh, and you notice the design of the hilt is too long in, right? Uh, on both daggers and they're both like sharp. Uh, and this person says, show me what you got. Uh, and they sound very much like a, like a child pretending to be an adult. And then they attack. They like go for you. What do you do? I'm playing on the defensive a little bit, I think. I would be using my uh, feats, or not my feats necessarily, but my cool um, parry ability uh, that the Calling Edge has, um, and like mostly being on the defensive. Uh, and I'm not trying to stab this person, you know, necessarily, um, mostly just like blocking um, defensively. This is a defensive moment, I think. Okay, sounds good. So it's like bing, bing, bing. Like they're going with their like daggers, like choo, 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 one after the other. I think like as like the daggers are coming at, like the, if they're just like kind of relentless, I think, you know, it's like parry, 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 dodge, block. And then like the culling edge actually just like kind of drops. Uh, and then it immediately like reforms like uh, like a chain. Uh, it like drops as this person is like right in front of them. And then it reforms into a chain and just goes wee, wee, wee. Uh, as they use their uh, blood curse of binding on this person's legs. They got a nat one. <laughs> so <laughs> what happens? Nat for us. <laughs> Sucker. Uh, that means that uh, they have a speed of zero and they cannot use reactions. Uh, and they are bound. Okay, the blood chains wrap up the entire length of this person's body and they go, ah! Uh, it's like, like the chains go up, Oka grabs the front of their shirt and they rip the hood off. Uh, and looking back up into your face, you see your youngest sister, Yaya. She was seven years old when you saw her last, and she is now a teenager. She's now 14 years old or so. Uh, and her face, it's her, but she's grown up, right? It is undeniably Yaya, but she has for sure grown up. And her hair was this sort of like tangled, long, messy, like like rat's nest almost maybe like because you never like brushed it uh, last you saw and now it's like short it's like cut short um i think even like buzzed like buzzed on one side with like the teenage baby's first queer baby's first undercut sort of vibes know what i mean <laughs> it has a little bit of a baby face left uh but it's you know she's older uh and you notice she has a scar that was not there before on her left cheek looks like a knife scar or something yeah yeah Oka. I knew it was you. I just, I just had to check. I just had to make sure it wasn't like a clone or like someone like disguising themselves or like a trap. It's, it's, it's. <laughs> uh, and she bursts into tears and like starts bawling at like the, like so hard. Yeah, I think the blood rope just kind of like falls, you know? And like, as it does, if she like moves in to hug Oka, they are just like, like frozen. You know, this was like a, okay, like this is some kind of like fucked up too long an assassin. And then it is just like, I don't know. Uh, and they kind of like stand there uh, as maybe like she like is hugging their chest and they put a hand over their mouth 
uh, and then they eventually like cradle the back of her head and like like pull her in towards their chest and just let her cry. Yaya cries and cries and cries like against your shoulder and is just like pulling you like like hugging you as hard as she can. Uh, you're still taller than her, right? But not by that much anymore, uh, which maybe discomfits you. Uh, her her head is now all the way like up to your shoulder. Uh, she's like hugging you and like crying, crying into your neck. You're really big now. Yeah, yeah. You're really, you're really big now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's been seven years. I know I'm, and Oka starts crying, you know, he's like fat gold tears. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm so sorry. I never, I never wanted to leave you alone. I'm, I'm sorry. And they just start crying like into the top of her head and apologizing over and over. Dewey, we find you sitting in an armchair across from Tonga on the second floor of her shop in Rasso, the capital of the championship of Nepal. The tea that has been offered to you has long gone cold as you tell Tonga what you've been up to. In a nutshell, what do you tell her and what do you leave out? Um, I think I would tell Tonga that um, I've been working for... I worked for the URL. Um, I made some cool shit, and then they used it against me, and maybe they're responsible for everything that's going on. And that's why I want the bomb watch off, among other things. Among, you know, the blowing up consequences things. Uh, when you're done telling her all of this, she stares at you with a really blank expression on her face and then goes, Hold on, you... So... There's a... You you got hired? You got into the URL? I'm sorry, yeah. that's the wrong thing for me to fixate on. It's just, that's a lot to take in, Dewey. Like, a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. So this myriad thing, it tried to strike a deal with you? What's going on with it? Yeah, so if I don't keep supplying it, him, with information, you know, death and disfigurement and stuff. Information about what? And do you tell her about the whole Paragon thing, or do you leave that out? I would tell Tonga. Everything about how you're supposed to be the paragon of Galtanger by process of elimination and based on like Rev's visions and stuff. Yeah, like I don't. Dewey's like I. I mean, logically, I guess, but like uh, I don't know if I'm. So you basically tell her everything that Atalanta knows, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. I think that takes like the entire day or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the time you're done telling, like the the sunless sky is like starting to turn gray and darker. Um. And she's just sitting there staring at you. And Xiaohu has also been in the room the entire time and is like sitting, sitting by the table, staring, right? Not a single word uttered. And Tonga says, Well, god damn shit. Do we? You're in a lot of shit. I mean, I, I, how can I? I mean, what do you need me for? 
Right now I'm just trying to figure out the logistics of the bomb watch. Right. The whole thing about the ingredients you need. Can I see that list? Just give me something okay. to look at, something to work on, something to, to ground me. This is this is too yeah, much. I got you. That's what I've been doing for the past forever. Distracting myself with things to do. Here here's the list. Atanga takes the list, says, Oh wow, a feather from the weave spun nest. Uh nope. Actually that's a mistranslation. A bit of an eggshell from the weave spun nest. You you got that? You said you were in the court. Uh, and Dewey, maybe yeah. when she says that, you can feel... Uh, I don't know if you would have carried it with you, but Rev, uh, before you all left for the championship, would have handed you a shard of an eggshell from within the weave spun nest to you. Uh, where is that eggshell now? Do you carry it on your person at all times, or is it back at uh, back in quarters? I think it is on me. It's in... Uh, how big is this piece of eggshell? Maybe like the size of a shattered, like maybe like that's a quarter of the size of a football. Okay. Um, I think my backpack is just full of like the scrap that I've collected because I've emptied out the box that the scrap goes in and I put the eggshell in it so it doesn't get crushed. Totally. Wow. Okay. Well, it looks like what you need from me is a runestone, right? Yeah, we're... I didn't work with, didn't work much with that when I was here. Where would I go about finding these things? Uh, about that. Uh, and then Xiaohu for the first time chimes in and says, You're not taking mine. This is what's going to win me the championship. It's okay, Xiaohu's. No one taking, no one is going to take your runestone, okay? The thing, one of the power sources of Xiaohu's prosthetic is a, a piece of a runestone I found. Uh, you can't tell anyone this, but I found it in Clothal Jungle before the cataclysm, okay? Before all of this went, you know, went, went sour. And uh, technically, I'm not supposed to be there because of the whole nature preserve thing and like no people allowed in the jungle sort of thing, but I, I don't know. I, I built a device and it was it's sort of like a metal detector device, but like for like pockets of magical energy. And it kept leading me deeper and deeper into the jungle. And I found this huge Dewey. I don't even know how to describe it. It was this beautiful, huge, like stone tablet, just sort of in the middle of the jungle. And it just radiated so much magical energy. I chipped off a little bit because I figured, hey, it wouldn't miss just a tiny little bit of it, right? Um, and now that tiny little piece I've been using to power a lot of my creations. But ever since the Cataclysm, I've been too scared to go back in because, well, because of the carnival. I don't want to get sucked into that. Right. Uh, I don't either, but it kind of seems like my path is taking, leading me all paths lead to the carnival. Uh, so I might have to go. I'm so sorry, Dewey. If I had any extra... All the other ones I used, I used up. I blew them up, or I turned them into dust, or I powdered them up, in failed experiments. The one that Xiaohu has in rear arm is is the last one I have, and well, Re needs it for rear arm. Uh, that, yeah, that's okay. Seriously, don't worry about it. I wouldn't dream about taking it from Xiaohu, anyways. <laughs> uh, not that I could. Uh... That's right, puny pigeon man. Tonga, are you sure this is the guy? 
this is your partner that you've been talking about from the way you described him. I was envisioning something a bit more. Bird of prey. Are you sure this is the kind of person you want to be? Oh, uh, I know Ree's rough around the edges, but Ree has a really good heart. You just got to trust me on this one, Dewey. I do. I'll take your word on that one. So, are you asking? I could probably guide us back to the stone, or I can give you the device I used to find it. Sure, I'd love to see it. I, you know, I worked on similar things. Uh, right, before the whole they try to turn your inventions into weapons thing at the uh, URL. Well, they did, Eesh. yeah. Wait, am yeah. I implicated now that I know this? Are they going to come after me? No, I, uh, well, I don't think so. I think they're just after me. You don't have to worry, Tonga. I'll protect you. Thank you, Xiaohu. Oh, why don't you fix up dinner uh, while I show Dewey everything I've been working on for the past, what, five, eight, nine, ten years? How long has it been since we last saw each other? It's been too long. I should have, I should have written. I should have, well, I mean, URL. Not an excuse, but I should have written. Right, I mean... I should have written you, too. Uh, but bygones and bygones, right? That's what they say? Uh, here, I'll, I'll show you everything I've been working on. Follow me, follow me. Uh, and Tonga leads you to, like, a little laboratory area that's, like, underneath the shop. Like, a little workshop. Uh, with, like, all these, like, experiments in progress. Uh, and it reminds you very much of your own workshop. Maybe it brings back some memories. You see, like, a, a work table... Uh, a crafting table with like leather strips and like tongs and hammers. You see like a little like furnace in the corner that like shutters all the way up to like a chimney like on the roof that like pumps out gas that way and steam and and smoke. Uh, and she brings you to like a work in progress area uh, where you see hung up uh, on a hook a cool looking device. Uh, it looks like an attachable that you would attach the side of your glasses and like shutter between for like different lenses, you know? She says, I attached this to my goggles uh, and, uh, well, it's easier explained. Uh, it's easier shown than explained. Uh, Dewey, do you have your glasses? Because I feel like you lost them in the cord, but did you get new ones in the meantime? We been anywhere that would have, I don't think so. <laughs> so you've just been looking around nearsighted? <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had to do any, like, fighting. Okay. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, then she says, uh, I guess I could lend you these. Uh, well, these are mine, but I have a, a, a different pair here. Wait, hold up. Uh, are they... And then Dewey goes off and rummages around in a desk, and he's like, are they still... I could have sworn I left a pair when I... And he goes digging through a drawer. Oh, uh, actually, I... uh, now that you mention it, and you see a box labeled Dewey's, Dewey's Crap... Cardi's crap. <laughs> I never got around to throwing it out. I'm glad I didn't, I guess. Me too. Oh. Uh, he, he grabs a <laughs> pair of glasses that are like, they're like really little frames. Not like the big ones he usually wears. Yeah, as you rummage through the box, you also find an old photograph or an old like portrait uh, of you and all of the championship hopefuls you mentored all those years ago. And they're all, you know, their fates are not great. 
Uh, and we see Rose among them with like, I think like the one standing closest to you beaming proudly. And this was on the eve of like the championship challenge being announced and they're all excited for it. Dewey's gonna look at it for a hot moment. Uh, back turn to Tonga, I think. He's gonna fold it up and leave it in the box. Uh, you take out your glasses. Tanga hands you like the lenses, basically, like attaches it to the side. Uh, these lenses are really, these frames are really small, Cardu. Uh, I'm glad you, uh, well, here. It's a lot younger. <laughs> your head got bigger? I don't know. Your, your eye sockets grew? Uh, hands <laughs> you like the lens thing and like asks you to use it. Uh, so as you shudder between like the frames, uh, they're sort of like at the optometrist's office when you like have like various different f- f- uh, lenses you can uh, flick between. Uh, and as you look around each different one, you see like various things in the room start to glow up, start to glow, uh, depending on like whether or not they're magical and like the school of magic they belong to as well. So I just kept following this like glow I could see in the distance and it eventually led me to that tablet. It took a little finagling. Uh, but if you're anything like all the adventures you've been on suggests, I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out in no time, Cardi. This, this is amazing. I, you know, you can tell that we worked so long together. Uh, like, and he, he took, uh, he takes the different lenses that he's made over the years and like hands them to Tonga and it's like, look at this. They're so similar. Uh, yeah. I know, right? We really were. We really wor- we worked really well together, Cardu. We really did. Uh, but there's something I want to give you. And she turns and strides to the back of the workshop where she opens up like a dresser. And hanging in the dresser is a breastplate. Uh that seems to be made for like a bird. Right? Uh it's like curved out in the front and it's got holes in the back. Uh, f- well, your arms are your wings, you freak. Uh, so there's like, <laughs> unlike a lot of air cookers with like arms and wings, uh, but it looks like a like a like a breastplate for birds, uh, and it's like a kind of like leather, but with like a brassy gleam to it. I uh, started working on this after you left. I don't know why I. I guess maybe what you said to me when you left about not wanting to hurt people anymore or be responsible for that just resonated with me, and uh, I spent a couple of months working on this piece of armor for you, uh, in case you ever came back. You hung on to it all this time? I guess I never got around to throwing it out, just like your crap. Here, it's, it's yours. And Tanga takes it out of the wardrobe and hands it to you. Do you take it? Oh, yeah. It is special Tonga's armor for Cardu, and it's got special properties, right? And as soon as you touch it, you, f- you can feel that it's, like, thrumming with, like, magic as well. It's been enchanted for sure. Uh, and as you look at the finer work, like, details, you see, like, like little cogs and gears, you know, like, around the struts, and you see, like, the leather working is very fine. You got really into, uh, what, armory? <laughs> uh, leather working while I was gone? You didn't used to be able to do this? Uh, yeah, I might have commissioned someone for the leather bits. Uh, but the design is mine, and the enchantments as well. Of course. Of course. Well, hey, do you want to stay for dinner? 
Uh, sure, yeah. Let's go eat with your, uh, protege. Yeah, Xiaohu. Hey, you should, uh, you should ask Rim, uh, how Ri got Rear's nickname. Ri will go on and on and on about that. Oh. All right. Uh, all right. I don't want to pry, but okay. If you say so. Uh, and Tonka Get laughs. That armor now. Yep. Claps you on the shoulder. And as you, like, take the armor, right, and, like, stow it away, uh, you can feel your sword son, like, strapped to your, like, hip or your back or wherever you usually keep them, like, thrumming, right? Uh, and as Tonga, like, leads you out of the workshop chamber, uh, you hear your sword son's voice in your head go, Father! 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 There are, I can sense that there are so many magical weapons here, so many instruments of death. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna swap me out, are, are you? No, why would I need other, other magical weapons? Uh, what was that, Cardu? You know how I talk to myself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, hmm. And Tonga just gives you sort of like a sidelong look. So anyway, we're having beef and onion stew tonight. Great. Uh... You're not... Hold on, wait. Remind me, are you a vegetarian? I forget. I'm a pescatarian. Pesc... That's yeah. the thing. Okay. You remember the, the fish stew we used to make on oh! like Wednesday nights? Yes, I do. Oh my God, the fish head soup. It was so good. You know what? I'll see. I'll go down to the market and see if I can get some fish heads. Uh, you can just uh and make yourself comfy and homey with Xiaohu. I'll be right back. Will do. <laughs> and as Tonga splits and you go back upstairs, uh, you sit down and have a very awkward, very awkward like moment with Xiaohu, who's just sort of sitting there looking at you, right? And maybe on that, like maybe with like Tonga returning with like the fish heads and like cooking the stew together, like getting to know Xiaohu and like um, talking about everything that Tonga's been up to as well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, on this on the smell of the delicious like fish stew being set out on the table right uh we cut now to manaya uh manaya now still reeling i think in the middle of the town square after learning this terrible secret half obfuscated truth whatever it might be that the princess of leaves and nolly right by extension hid from you manaya what do you do Manaya takes several deep breaths to calm herself. Um, doesn't communicate with the princess at all. Her first thought is, if they're sacrificing to the princess or the queen of seasons or even Sen, their souls aren't going to get there. That after is gone for now. So her first thought is she needs to tell the people so that they know. And she wants to start with Gora, the person giving herself up. Okay, so maybe we can cut to, let's say this like uh, kind cheetah person uh, led you to the pool, uh, which was, let's say, like a little uh, ways away from the center of town. And on your way, like through the center of town, you see a statue in the middle of the town square of Nali. And maybe it like makes you like pause for like a second. It is your mother's likeness. Uh, almost like perfectly like down to like the ears and like the kind of like fickle smile on her face uh, except there's a very real crown of flowers uh, on her skull 
Uh, Manaya, who has since styled her hair after her mother, I think maybe brushes some hair out of her face. Uh, and her hand lingers there a moment before she keeps walking. Okay. Uh, you walk past the statue and you are led to a uh, kind of like a, a tidy little divot in the earth where leading down you see like a, a pool. Um, a pool of water, of gleaming clear water with like piles of leaves all around it in a very ritualistic and like religious fashion. Um, and there's like several people nearby. Um, they appear to be like holy people, like priests, priestesses, etc., uh, dressed in these like beautiful robes of like dappled gold, green, uh, red, and gray that resemble like the leaves changing in like various seasons. And sort of bathing in the middle of this pool is Gora. Uh, and she is probably around your age, right? Like youngish, maybe like 20s, 20s or so. Uh, as she has this like beautiful dark skin uh, and very short hair, actually. Uh, and she's sort of like very like intentionally like like bathing herself, like moving like her right right hand up her like left arm and then moving her like left hand up her right arm in like a specific pattern, uh, uh, like wiping herself down with like soap. Manaya doesn't want to interrupt her bathing. Be a little awkward. But she's definitely gonna walk up to the one of the one of the holy people, clerics, mm -hmm. question mark. Clerics, yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. And say uh, excuse me. Ah, uh, yes. Hello there. How can I help you? My name's Manaya Wairua. I'm from Muhanahi. I'm on an adventure to help fix what's going on here gesturing vaguely at the sky. I have some information that might be pertinent to you all, and especially her, nodding at Gora. Oh, to Priestess Bio. I see. And you. Hmm. Perhaps it is the fates bringing you here to our town. You do resemble the bearer of the princess. Please. I am sure Priestess Bio will be more than happy to field your concerns. Uh, and they incline their head and gesture for you to like go down to the water. I think maybe Manaya mumbles something about she mumbles, she mumbles something about Nali, something about Mum, something like "Can't believe Mum lied to me about what she did here," and then and then like walking away. Okay. Uh, as you go, are, are you approaching Agora? Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's okay. Yeah, it, it seems to be pretty open. Like, this doesn't seem to be a very closed-off community uh, in any way. Uh, and as you walk down this slope, uh, you reach the edge of the water. And let's say the water goes up to Gora's, like, um, like chest, let's say, uh, for, like, PG-13 PG reasons, you know? But it's not, like, this is not, like, a sexualized nudity whatsoever. Uh, it feels very, like, ritualistic and, like, re like reverent. Um, you pause at the edge of the water, and Gora like turns, uh, noticing you, noticing your approach, and says, "Greetings, stranger. How can I help you?" I don't want to interrupt what you're doing. It seems very sacred and important, but I have information that might be pertinent to you and everyone here. Well, what is it? Uh, has she like walked over? I uh, know she's over. she's paused still in the middle of the pond, looking at you quizzically. I mean, this isn't information that like she needs to keep from everyone, so sure. she's just gonna say, "My name is Manaya Waidua, daughter of Kahealani Napua and Nali Waidua. I 
come bearing grave news about what has seemed to happen here four times a year every year since however many years ago. I come from a place of ignorance, although I have heard that you all make a sacrifice to honor the changing of the seasons, the turning of the leaves, and I see and respect that. However, after the vanishing, our connection with the after has been severed, and souls sacrificed to any greater, higher being won't go anywhere. They dissipate into nothingness. I understand my words may be shocking, and maybe I lack a way to prove this, but I only ask that you listen. Uh, at this, like, the holy people, like, look at each other and, like, murmur. They're like, what? Severed? The after? But how could this be? You know, they're, like, murmuring, murmuring, like, very concerned. Is there a cleric or a paladin of Scardinectus or Sen or anyone? You're looking at her. Yes. Before the cataclysm, I was, in addition to a cleric of the princess, a cleric of Scardinectus, as is right, as I am from Nepal. Why do you ask? God and Nectus. Well, let me back up. Your, your cleric powers. Do you still have them? Do you still have a connection with Scott and Nectus? A, a pointed pause. No. As I feared. The after and the beyond are, are severed. My companions and I who are off helping others around the championship, we're trying to fix things, but... I will not stop you, but know that your souls, sacrificed with all good intentions, will not make it to the places you intend. At this, like, one of the holy men chimes up and he says, What proof do you have of this? Any evidence? She said it herself. Her connection to the Tuscada Nectus is gone, severed. That doesn't mean the after is gone. That doesn't mean the, the sacrifices our community makes are in vain. You are a magic user, no? I, I am the only magic user here in Oberon. Or I was. This is why my sacrifice this year, this turning, is so important. Maybe it will help bring magic back. Maybe it will help fix all of this. But you... You must have been around for the previous turning then. You must have felt the weave... <sighs> shudder. I... And the soul d dissipate. I... <sighs> I did. Uh, and at that, Gora actually starts walking toward you. And the other holy people are like, Oh, but priestess, priestess, no, the, the ritual. She's like, no, it's okay. We'll resume later. Um... She walks up onto the shore and she takes a towel from a nearby attendant and like wraps it around herself um, and says, You called yourself child of Kahealani Napua and Nali. Yes, they're my parents. We lived in Nuhanahi for many years. Nali as in the bearer of the princess. Former bearer. I don't... I don't understand. 
Nali is an immortal soul, blessed by the gods to walk the earth and carry up the princess's demands. I... It was a deal made when she was very young. In return for her heavenly powers, her magic, the princess would ride her soul back to the after. As it and the journey would have dissipated her soul. You come in here, you claim to be the child of of the bearer of the goddess we worship. You have no evidence. You, you're trying to stop our ritual. How do we know you're not working for the forces that threaten our realm and trying to prevent us from stopping this calamity? Brother, peace. I think before she says peace, mm-hmm. uh, Manaya, her eyes glow briefly. And she whips around to whoever just said that. And she's going to activate, what is it called? Fey Presence. Ooh. Which, where she channels the presence of the princess, though maybe not the princess herself, and leaves swirl uh, from her feet. And wind just whips around her as she floats off from the ground a little bit. Um, And her eyes are like fully glowing green and orange. Uh, as her hair is like going wild, um, and she and uh, her her arms go out a little bit too. You just make it a little bigger, and she says, "You dare, you dare align me with those worshiping the cause of the vanishing." Uh, all the holy people, they gasp, you know, and they drop like the soaps on like the floral scents and the leaves they were holding and they like, f- they fall to their knees and they like, bat- they like lift up their like hands and like fear and terror as the- as you like, s- as you float into the air before them and like boom out with your voice. And even Gora takes a few steps back, like back into the water. Uh, Maniah continues, those who worship the, the chrysalis, the stranger, the being that caused all of this, they are your enemy. Do what you will with your ritual, but your souls go nowhere. Manaya, Manaya, please, please. He means no harm. He speaks out of ignorance. Please don't hurt us. Manaya maybe turns back to Gora, um, and her eyes soften. Soften? Soften. As she uh, blinks, and they go back to her white eyes, her pale white eyes, and she floats slowly to the ground and the winds abate. I'm I'm sorry, Miss Gora. I, I don't know what... I'm sorry. I... I should go. No, wait. You're either a very good illusionist and con woman, or what you say is the truth. There is one way to find out. Priestess Beal, you don't mean... No. There's no harm in trying. Manaya, please. Please, there's something... There's something I need to do. Please, follow me. Manaya, with a bowed head, follows. Uh, an attendant, like, several attendants sweep forward as Gora walks and, like, she slips on a robe and, like, drops the towel, you know, and, like, closes the robe around her. And she leads you back into the town square and pauses in front of the statue. She whistles. Uh, and a couple of birds like flutter out of nowhere and they like land like on top of the statue's head and they 
they pick up the the crown of like flowers and leaves that was on the statue's head and they float it down you know the birds a very like disney princess moment um and gora like takes the flower crown as she turns to you and says sort of as an explanation i've lost my connection to scott and nectus and to magic as a whole but the woodland creatures here still trust me and she turns to you and says this was left behind, passed down from generation to generation of priestesses of the princess. It is in my charge now, and this reef is the only, is the solid proof we have that the princess of leaves did indeed come by and start the turning of the leaves here in Oberon. If you are connected to her as you claim, only you should be able to activate the magics within. Do you mind? And she starts like lifting up the wreath to put on your head. Do you allow her? Is there like a base to the statue? Yes, there is. Manai takes a seat there and doesn't stop her. Okay. Uh, Gora lifts this crown of leaves uh, mottled with like... Um, summertime flowers let's say and places it on your head and basically as soon as the leaves make contact with your hair there's like a like a um i don't want to say explosion but yeah sure like an explosion of like like pollen and like a breeze like sweeps out from you right and then like we see like like ghostly like flowers and leaves swirl around you uh, and finally we see like a flakes of snow also like escape uh, right from the contact of where the crown hit your head um, and Gora staggers backward uh, as Manaya you finally hear the princess's voice go the crown uh, from inside your head uh, and you feel like magic like seep down like warm honey like through your soul like from where this from where this crown touched you Gora staggers backward and is looking at you and everyone in the town like saw this shit and heard it and smelled it right and felt it and they all pause and stop and they like drop whatever they're holding like pots like crater and uh, shatter and break against the ground you know kids stop running and are staring at you like slack jawed you know even like like a nearby cow that was being led by a farmer pauses and moves like looks at you right like everyone like here in this town is staring at you Manaya and Gora goes it's true it's you she's she's back the next bearer of the princess. Um, and she gets down on her knees uh, in front of you, and everyone in the town starts getting on their knees in front of you. Priestess Gora, and Manai gestures next to her at the base of the statue. Come. I, I'm not worthy. I... Miss, I... I tried to ask things only once. If this is what you decree, then of course... And Gora picks herself off the ground and sits next to you. Manaya raises her voice so that people around them can hear her, but is otherwise addressing Gora. And she tells them a story of adventure on the high seas and of the seas breaking and pillars of water destroying ships displacing the sea life and the luckiest among them docking in uh, the Republic of Talmud and the adventures of four heroes tasked by the gods to 
well, bring them back, as they have been severed from Andake. She tells the story of the Raven Queen, the smallest shred of an echo reuniting, rather slotting into place with the soul it was meant to match, that was meant to match. And the misplaced soul in that uh, in that heavily scarred drow. She tells a story of diving deep to the bottom of the ocean to save her parents. Stuck in a cave, lost in time, eventually freed through the power of what we thought were long extinct, the dragons. She tells a story of these heroes meeting with Atalanta, but not before mourning heavily over the death of one of the three parents of one of the heroes of this story, and how she sacrificed herself, and how she re and how she altered the deal nine years ago so that Nali's soul would not go to the after and the princess, the princess riding atop, but should her daughter ever come to trouble that she should use the power of her soul to save her, a life for a life. And she closes this story with the now, where we are all stuck, where our souls are stuck, and that we are but one step on our eight-step uh, journey to bring Andake back to what it once was. Okay, I love that. And like the, the townsfolk listen wrapped, you know, like gathered at your feet now, like all sitting, you know, and the, the longer you talk, the more people come in to like join until like by the end of your speech, like the light is starting to like, like turn turn uh, more subtle. Uh, it's no longer like just past noon. It's like turning into evening now. Uh, and by the time you're done talking, like the entire town square is just filled with people sitting and listening to your story uh, as this crown glows softly like green on your head. Uh, and Gora is also looking with you, looking at you with this like look of like utter reverence and awe in her like, in her face. I think on that, that's a great place for us to transition to the next scene. Uh, as everyone's huddled around Manaya, we like pull out of this like small town of Oberon, away from the the acres of farmland that surround it, away from the beautiful cliffside. And I think as the camera pans away, in the distance, very small and barely you can you can barely make it out. Manaya turns and gives Gora a big hug and says, Aww. "Thank you." Oh, I love that! Yeah, you hug Gora, thank thank her. She thanks you as well. Uh, we pull away from this. We see like the glittering Hima Sea in the in the near distance. And when we pull back in, it is on V. Sievert has taken you somewhere private. And by private, I mean his room in a tavern. It's a nice tavern, a ritzy one. Uh, I think in the district of let's see, in the in the district of risk and reward. Uh, and the tavern is called the 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 lover's tavern. 
uh, he takes you to the it's like a big huge tavern like a nice like hotel lobby right on the ground floor with like even like an indoor like fountain situation that's how big it is it's really fancy uh he takes you to the second floor and into his suite not even his room his suite uh, where you see like there's like a it feels like a one bedroom uh, like a studio apartment that's how like nice it is right for like a for a, for a tavern room uh, and he uncorks a decanter right um, a, a, a crystal deca- decanter in the middle of this like broad like mahogany uh, desk in the middle of the suite and he pours pours out some some alcohol for you and himself and he offers you a glass oh no, none for me friend I, uh, I gave up drinking a long time ago suit yourself and he blows on the glass to like frost it up a bit you know and he, t- he takes a takes a sip of his of his wine puts it down please make yourself comfortable have a seat it's my pleasure could I just perceive the room a little more I want to like <laughs> yes you can uh, make a perception check um, can, I'm going to use a, a luck one of my lucks okay. for that one and just re-roll that all right, well, that's better, 15. 15. Is there anything in particular you're looking for or just for like a more general description? I am actually, I want to get a sense of objects and furniture in the room. Oh, my like, God. I want to know my surroundings really good. Okay, so there's the entryway. There's the uh, door and like a little hallway where you like can take off your shoes to your left, you know, uh, and then the hallway opens up into like a, a, a sitting room, basically, where you are. And there's like a, a, a big sliding door that is currently halfway open to reveal a bed area with a balcony near it and to your left uh you can sort of see like an uh a door that presumably leads to like a private privy uh as well as like another like sofa and a lounge area so you see bookshelves in the sitting room as well as this big desk several chairs around it uh rug a nice rug right and then there's the bed to the right balcony okay so friend it's been so long since we've been alone together in the room in the tavern it has been brings back memories doesn't it you know i try to not think about them very much actually really well i wouldn't blame you i think about it not at all you know for not thinking about it at all you sure like to uh poke at me every time we run into each other in these wacky wild ways (laughs) the first time we encountered each other was just coincidence but there's a reason why i'm seeking you out again v your blood so let's just get this over with we don't have to pretend to like each other this is strictly a business relationship isn't that what you prefer i mean i'd prefer not to blow up this nice hotel room of a tavern but uh we'll see how it goes listen i'm not against violence as a last resort but let's see if we can't be civil about this first. I know that's hard for you, growing up in a cave and all that. But do try to control your base instincts. Such a charmer you are. Where's the... Could you perhaps, just for, I don't know, five minutes of time, just act like you did before you betrayed me and destroyed everything I love? Just for five minutes. Cocks his head at you, looking at you. Where's this coming from, V? V has a little bit of a plan going on. Okay. <laughs> okay, he cocks his head, looks at you, um, and says, You know what? If that'll make this deal go down easy, fine. 
Let's pretend. You call it a betrayal, I call it the natural conclusion of our relationship. But fine, I'll humor you. All right, beautiful. Let's talk business. You and me. It's always you and me, V. From the beginning to the end. There's the sievert, I remember. Uh, you have the diadem. I do. Uh, and he puts the box on the table, pops it open, takes out the, the diadem, places it on his skull. <clears throat> okay. Ask away. Uh, and then I'm going to cast animate objects. Oh my god. <laughs> and, um, v is just gonna... The de- let's see, because based on the size of... Is the bed right here too, or is this... Uh, the bed is in another room. Another uh, okay, yeah, so, but it could come to life if it like bashed through the partition. What I would like is the maho- nice, big, solid mahogany table and the bookcases and the chairs. That's like, let's say four of the objects, because I imagine the bookcases are pretty large. They are. And same with the mahogany. So I can do like two large items and then I'll just do a couple of chairs. And I'm going to cast animate objects on them and just tell them to grab him. And have all of these objects, like, basically just topple on top of him to make it so he can't move. Ah! This is what I would like to do. Yeah. Both of the bookcases just, there's a screech of, uh, of wood as they just screech out of place. And dust goes flying, books go flying, you know, and the, the chairs all pile up onto Sievert. The chair that he's on, like, suddenly, like, lifts him up into the air a little bit. He goes, oh, what the? Uh, and the bookcases sandwich him, right? They go, bam, they clap him. Like one claps him on the back, one claps him on the front. He goes, ah! And you can hear his voice like muffled, like between the books and between the shelves. He goes, what? What's the meaning of this V? I just want you right where I want you, which is exactly where you are. This is lovely. I just, this, this reminds me of uh, everything I've ever wanted to do to you. Um, so first question, who are you working for? You fucking let. There is a way to do this, V. You don't have to be such a bitch about everything. All right, but now tell me, who are you working for? Uh, your father. Interesting. Where is old Pops these days? Uh, the Godspine. <sighs> tell me something I don't know. My. I. Don't like chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Something you don't know. (laughs) Well done. I did not know that fact. That's really good to know. Um, God, if only I had some chocolate in here to force feed you right now, this would be perfect. Uh... No, but where in the God's spine can I find my father? Uh, the middle part. More specific, how do I get to my father, you conniving little dragon, you? <laughs> He's uh, hidden himself away in a secret cave. You need special magic and permissions to enter. If you're not part of the Chromium Order, you can't get in. Oh, where can I find Chromium Order? Uh, I am I am his fang. I am in charge. Oh, well then, I guess... Ugh, that just complicates things. All right, here's a question. Did you ever love me? <laughs> we aren't gonna... We weren't going to... 
oh and you can see like the bookcases like shudder as he's like trying to like fight his way out but he's still got some time on him why does that matter i'm not going to i'm not going to answer that i asked you the question did you ever actually love me yes perfect uh and i'll go ahead and let animate objects um fall down all the way the the bookcases kind of fall back and the desk falls away and the chair on the ground. He he tears the the, the diadem off and he he gets up. What the hell was that? It was not what we agreed. <laughs> I'm sorry, friend. You um, you kind of deserved it. Let me tell you. But uh, I learned so much wonderful things about you. I I feel closer to you now than I ever have. Next time I find a box of chocolates, I'm going to give them to you. Don't you dare. The deal. Your blood. Mm. I don't know how I feel about giving some blood. What do you... I mean, are you trying to find out whether or not I'm a paragon? That seems to be everybody's favorite little game these days. A what? Perfect. All right. Next question. Uh... (laughs) The the diadem is off his head. He he torn it off. Would you like to try? To, like, right. are you gonna like mage hand it on? That's a brilliant idea. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> While he's all yelling at me, I'm gonna cast mage hand to grab the diadem and, and then plop it back on his head. Okay, are you gonna try to keep it there? Like as he's trying to like bat it off, you're like trying to like. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Sure. Okay, let's say that is a sleight of hand check versus his his decks. And depending on how well you do, uh, you can you might be able to continue the line of questioning until he like manages to swipe it off. I'm gonna use one more luck uh, okay. point. How do I roll the exact same thing every time? Uh, let's see. Well, that is still that's still fifteen. Okay, you have bought yourself a little bit of time before he swipes it off, and he goes, "Get this infernal thing off." And he's, like, trying to, like, bat it off. What are you going to do with my blood? Ah, it's... Uh, I can't... I can't... Uh, uh, and he actually pff, breathes out this, like, ice mist, right? He's starting to get, like, actually aggravated, right? And this mist, like, pff, skates over, like, the surface of the table and, like, causes, like, uh, frost crystals to rhyme on top. Uh, and it, like, freezes the decanter shut. I have been instructed not to tell you you can't know but that is you're not telling me the truth what do you need my blood for i it's the key it's part of the key to open the vault Ooh, a vault well if you're making a score why don't you invite your old friend v into score you know i love money because i can't have him love you more and he swipes uh, the crown off of his head and like smacks it against the table. <sighs> you never cease to amaze. I think I've said more than enough. Now, are you going to be a good girl and give me your blood, or do I have to take it from you? Well, I mean, you can try to take it from me, see what happens, but I'm not giving it to you right now. Fine. Plan B, then. Uh, and Sievert lunges for you. Uh, and maybe on Sievert lunging toward V, like, like his claw out, uh, we cut to Oka. And I think we find you in that alleyway again, right? Yeah. 
Oka, uh, I think, like, as Sambaya is crying against them and Oka kind of is, like, tearing up, too, uh, they, they like, just, like, reach their arms underneath uh, hers and, like, pick her up uh, and kind of, like, like, just, like, scoop her up and, like, cradle her um, against their chest. Uh, and they walk back toward uh, the stable where there's, like, a stack of hay bales, I think. Um, and their wings kind of, like, drag on the ground behind them, like, pulling through, like, the muck and the mud um, as they, like, carry Sambaya, um, and they kind of, like, they, they sit down on this, like, stack of hay bales, um, and they, like, let, continue to, like, kind of let her cry it out. Luka, uh, kind of, like, lifts Sambaya's head uh, and, like, kind of, like, thumbs her cheek where the scar is. You, you always wanted to be like me. I remember when you were a toddler. Doesn't matter if it was Toya's turn to watch you or if Lianya was supposed to be tutoring you. Doesn't matter where I was or what I was supposed to be doing. You followed me everywhere. To the library training, to dinner, to studies, to class, to to the dream rooms, to visit Halo, everywhere, everywhere we went. And you followed me to the Grove, too, to the Grove. And now you followed me here. (laughs) Oh, fucking ace. I wish you never had. I wish that I had just gone alone and not let you come along and then maybe I would just be dead and we wouldn't have to deal with this. You wouldn't have to deal with it. That Selin would have just killed me and it would have been fine. But now look at you. Look at me. Look at the world. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I did wrong. I knew I never went. I wish you never followed me. I would do anything. I would do anything to keep you safe. Did you really come by yourself all the way out here? No, no, uh, uh Liangya is here too. Uh, I just- Liangya, um, she's here. Yeah, uh, I tr- tried to get Toya to come too, but she said it was stupid and that you weren't actually here and that you were dead, but but she's wrong! She's wrong! And you have to see Laoya, and why do you have wings? And how did you make your blood do the thing? And, and... Uh, this is too much. Uh, and she goes back to, like, crying. Sorry, Sambaya. Yeah, yeah. I'm so- I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, 
it's selfish. It's just selfish. I just, I wanted to make sure you were okay, but <laughs> I, I can't be here. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, and Yaya like looks up immediately from like your lap and is like looking at you with these huge pleading eyes. No, no, no. Oka, you, no, you can, you can come back. You should come back home. I can't, I can't come back home, Yaya. I can't go back. What? Well, yeah, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, I mean, they're looking for you, but you, you could do magic, right? You can do magic. That's what the wings are and the blood. You can pretend to be someone else. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. I've been trying to pretend to be someone else, Yaya, and it hasn't been working. But, but, but... That's why you came, right? It was to come home because mom, it's, you have to come home for mom. You, you're the only one. She, she's really sick. Makoya, she's really sick. And, and if she sees you, if she sees you, I think she'll get better. I know she'll get better. <laughs> Seeing me would not make her better. She'd get more sick, if anything. No, no. No, because none of the medicines are working. Nothing's working. Liang Ya has been working around the clock to try to save her, and nothing's working. But I know, I know if she saw you, I know if she saw you, she'd, she'd get better. Yeah, yeah, I can't come back. Mother, father made it very clear that I would be getting no more second chances. What do you mean? I thought you, you ran away bef before your execution. It doesn't matter. Either way, it doesn't matter. I can't come back. I can't come back. Yeah, yeah. I, I came to make sure that you were okay. I, I. Well, well, I, well, I'm not okay. You can't leave, okay? Because, because I. Everyone thought you were dead. Toya thought you were dead. Liangya thought you were dead, and mom, mom never said anything, but I think, I think even toward the end, she thought you were dead too, but I never stopped believing. I, I always knew you were out there. I always believed in you. I was the one who believed in you when everybody else thought you were dead. It was me, and I'm right, and I was right, so you have to come back, and you have to show everyone I'm not delusional. You have to prove... You have, you have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Maybe you should, maybe you should just pretend. Makoya Hien is dead. Okay, they died in the bamboo grove. I am not who I used to be. I am not anyone anymore. I am just a ghost. And it's better, it's better that way. I, sh I shouldn't have fucking come here. I shouldn't have fucking come. I'm s I'm s I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Tell you you have to tell. You have to tell mother, father that they can save mom. There's no reason that they can't. And she can't die now, not, why the, not while the stars are gone, okay? She can't. 
Just tell the Emperor to keep her alive. But, but, but they can't. I, not even, I'm telling you, Oka, they tried everything. Lianya's just barely keeping her there. It's, even Mother Father, we weren't allowed in the room, but I know it. They came by one night and they, well, and while they came by, I, you can't leave, you, you have to come, you have to come, you have to come now. Uh, and Yaya suddenly gets up and starts dragging you like toward the end. You have to come, there's something, I have to, I have to give you something. Oka, uh, it's these two, it's the seven-year-old desire to see their siblings versus the pain that they know that they should not be here at all. Uh, but I think, like, the like the concept, I think they can only follow. Okay, I really like that. Yaya, still, like, wiping tears from her eyes, like, pulls you into the tavern. Like, you don't even, like, notice the music or anything. She pulls you right up, like, the stairs, like, down, like, a hallway. Uh, fumbles with a key, opens up a door. And inside this tavern room, you see Liangya. Uh, and she is sitting at a desk reading a book, uh, which is familiar. But what's not familiar is she's older now. Last you saw Liangya, she was 11. Now she is 18. Uh, she is like a young woman now at this point. Uh, her glasses are no longer the big, thick, like bookwormy glasses. They're actually very thin and like very elegant looking. Uh, but she has that same like like bob, right? And she's got like a hair, like strand of hair tucked behind her ear as she's reading. Um, and as Yaya bursts in, Yaya goes, oh, "What I tell you, Yaya? They're not. Oh God, Makoya." And Liangya, like, scoots back, like, staring at you, literally like she's seen a ghost, which, like, basically she has. You're... It's... It's you. It's not. Uh... You look... I like your... I like your, uh, your glasses. Look really nice, Liangya. You... You... You, there's no time, Liangya! Get your shit together! And uh, Yaya runs uh, over to the bed, pulls something out underneath it. Uh, and it's a pack. A long pack. Like a long satchel. It's like there's, it's actually the satchel's used to like wrap something up. And Liangya goes, Yaya, you can't do this. Well, screw Yaya, you. what is that? It's... it's well, it's it's and she's explaining as she's like unwrapping like the sat like the satchel around it and like like bringing the satchel down and she does she says well on the night the emperor went to try to fix mom they had to leave their chambers right and you know I'd been training uh with Master Bao uh you know acrobatics and and sneaking and sleuthing and knives and 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 I snuck into the I may or may not have snuck into the uh, yeah yeah. I mean, I mean, have uh, uh, snuck into the vault of the emperor uh, and got uh, got this uh, because because well because you have to have it uh, and Yaya pulls out a sword uh, in a sheath 
right? And the sheath is pure black uh, with like silver, like a silver dragon wrapping up like its length, right? With like a hilt and like a pommel with like a sapphire on it. And you recognize this sword immediately because every single noble in the palace, everyone who knows anything about the emperor knows what this sword is. This is Dream Hunter. Uh, which is the royal sword of the Tsulongan Emperor, which is passed down from ruler to ruler. Um, and it only, you know, traditionally when the Emperor of Tsulong is ready to name an heir, they pass the title and the sword to the heir. So this is the Emperor's, like, private sword. It's a long sword. And Liang Ya just goes, Sweet motion, Judy, we're all screwed. Uh, and Yaya goes, You have to have it, because otherwise... Prince Moa is gonna have it. And it can't be Prince Moa, and Prince Moa can't be the new emperor because he won't have the sword, so it'll be you, right? Because you're second born and you can do it. That's why you have to come back. If you won't come back for Bomb, come back, come back for the kingdom. Podcast editing is by Marisa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Abigail Rytel, Azara, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Lex Slater, Mavilis, Mitzi, Moonflower T, Purple Mouse, Risa, and Target.